My name is Norma Farthing, and I'm happy to represent, honored to represent the teaching team today. Welcome to Grace Church. We're glad you're here. We invite you to worship God with us in holiness and spirit today. Let's prepare for that by being still for just a moment, and then we have an invocation that we will share together. I will read, you will read. Oh God, you are still speaking to us, but our ears are deafened by a never-ending stream of distractions. You are the truth, but we are in bondage to illusions. We claim Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Forgive us, we pray. Heal us from the sin that binds us to the ways of death. So that the kingdom of Christ may come on earth quickly, beginning in us, here and now. Amen. Thank you for that. As 2018 winds down, the talking heads on cable news will insist that we revisit the top stories of 2018. Really? Do we really need second and third helpings of bombings and hurricanes and floods and earthquakes and wildfires and mass killings and emaciated children dying in war zones? Do we need to look again at the cabal of self-absorbed, unstable men who control nuclear codes and command powerful armies and demonstrate utter contempt for human life? Do we need to revisit the corruption, greed, immorality, deceit, and abuses of power in government, business, and media? Do we? Don't we wonder why God allows all this to continue? Why he doesn't do something? If God is good and loving, why are the bad guys winning? Why? It's a question as old as humanity. David posed it in Psalm 22, and Jesus repeated it on the cross. My God, why? No other book in the Bible, except Job, of course, deals so pointedly with the question of why as the prophecy of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's prophecy is not addressed to God's people or to their enemies. It is a dialogue between the prophet 
and God himself. It consists of Habakkuk's two questions, God's two answers, and Habakkuk's prayer and declaration of faith. Just three chapters. And the reason it's included in the 12 minor prophets is not because it's insignificant, but because it's short. Like Job, Habakkuk is a theodicy, a defense of God's goodness and sovereignty in view of the existence of evil and human suffering. As Frederick Buechner puts it, if God is all he's cracked up to be, how come houses blow down on innocent people? Why does a good woman die of cancer in her prime while an old man who can't remember his name or hold his water goes in and on in a nursing home forever? Why are there so many crooks riding around in Cadillacs and so many children going to bed hungry at night? And we might add, why do God's people suffer like everybody else? If God loves us so extravagantly, why don't we get a pass? At age 35, Kate Bowler had a PhD from Yale, a secure tenure track position at Duke, a best-selling book, a loving husband, and a two-year-old son. She also had stage four colon cancer. Facing imminent death, Kate learned to live in ordinary time, that period that stretches from Easter to Advent, a time when there are no cosmic interventions, and she expected none. Quote, my little plans are crumbs scattered on the ground, she writes. This is all I have learned about living here, plodding along and finding God. My well-laid plans are no longer my foundation. By the way, I can't recommend this book highly enough. Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Learned to Love by Kate Bowler. Two classics that you might like to know about also are The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis and uh, Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. This is my new personal favorite. In his introduction to Habakkuk, Eugene Peterson calls living by faith a bewildering venture. We don't know what's coming next, and few things turn out the way we expect. It's a little like Wiley e. Coyote running down the cliff. We look down, and the ground we thought was under us suddenly isn't there anymore. We're confused and tempted to despair. We wrestle with faith and doubt and cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. but that's actually a good thing. If Habakkuk teaches anything, it is that questioning God is okay. 
Honest questions brought to God in a spirit of humility and openness will be answered. Besides, the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's despair. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. We invite you to join us, to speak to us, to show us yourself this morning. Forgive those times we prayed for serenity when we should have prayed for courage. Teach us how to be change makers in this broken world for which Jesus died and show us how to love and minister in his name to the suffering and broken ones you bring into our lives every day in his name and for his glory. Amen. This is the message, the burden that God revealed to Habakkuk the prophet. How long, Lord, must I cry for help, but you do not listen? I call out to you violence, but you do not deliver. Why do you force me to witness injustice? Why do you put up with wrongdoing? Destruction and violence confront me. Conflict is present, and one must endure strife. For this reason, the law lacks power, and justice is never carried out. Indeed, the wicked intimidate the, ins the innocent. For this reason, justice is perverted. Here is Habakkuk's first question. Why does a just and holy God put up with wrongdoing? To understand Habakkuk's question, we must know what prompted it. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah, whom we studied last week. Both Habakkuk and Jeremiah prophesied in Judah late in the 7th century BC. Already their sisters and brothers to the north and Israel had been taken captive by Assyria. Judah was spared solely because of the faith of their godly king solely because of the faith of their godly king yet Judah had learned nothing from the experience the people in Judah vowed their escape from judgment as privilege for having the temple as John Ray explained last week the temple the temple the temple became a mantra Public worship became empty, ritual, divorced from life, and Judah became simply another arrogant, self-satisfied nation like all those around them. Injustice, cruelty, violence, corruption, apostasy, the sins that had led to Israel's captivity, not only continued in Judah, they flourished. Why? Habakkuk took that question straight to God. He did not go to the temple. He did not reach out to the government, the courts, the religious establishment, the media, or even his friends and family. Apparently, he didn't confer with Jeremiah. In his heart, 
Habakkuk blamed God. So that's where he took his question. Good lesson there for us, right? And how did God respond? Look at the nations and pay attention. You will be shocked and amazed, for I will do something in your lifetime that you will not believe, even though you are forewarned. Look, I'm about to empower the Babylonians, that ruthless and greedy nation. They sweep across the surface of the earth, seizing dwelling places that do not belong to them. They are frightening and terrifying. They decide for themselves what is right. Just look around you, God declares. I'm about to do something you won't believe even though I've told you. Haven't you heard the news about the Babylonians? Why, they're taking over the whole world. Nineveh was the strongest city on the planet, but it was a pile of rubbish when the Babylonians finished with it. They think their gods are responsible for their power, of course, but I'm behind their success. And I tell you today, Habakkuk, that I personally am raising up the Babylonians to punish Judah. Don't you know that if their sins grieve you, they break my heart? I will not, I cannot ignore them. Habakkuk was horrified. That wasn't the answer he expected. Well, it certainly wasn't the answer he wanted. Sure, he wanted Judah punished, but not by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were far worse than Judah. Habakkuk didn't want to lose. He didn't want those infidels trampling through his land, abusing his people, taking away his possessions, upsetting his way of life. God must be out of his ever-loving mind. And Habakkuk told him so, too. Look, I know you're eternal and sovereign and all that. You judge sin in your own way, in your own time. But the Babylonians? Really? How can a holy God use such a wicked agent to punish his own people and still remain just? There it is. Question two. And God didn't answer right away. Had Habakkuk offended him? Was the prophet in trouble with the Almighty? Let's read on. I will stand at my watch post. This is Habakkuk talking. I will remain stationed on the city wall. I will keep watching so I can see what he says to me and can know how I should answer when he counters my argument. Uh, can we see the watch? Yeah, there it is. Don't you like that? God is silent. And in God's silence, Habakkuk does not become impatient or demanding. He doesn't sulk or pout or whine. He's not bitter or depressed or resentful. He expects God to respond. He expects God to answer. Not if, but when. And he simply watches and waits. He says, I will sit in this watchtower until he answers. He knew God well enough to wait. 
And that's not always our strength, is it? In his time, God did answer. The Lord responded, write down this message. Record it legibly on tablets so the one who announces it may read it easily. For the message is a witness to what is decreed. It gives reliable testimony about how matters will turn out. Even if the message is not fulfilled right away, wait patiently for it certainly will come to pass. It will not arrive late. Look, the one whose desires are not upright will faint from exhaustion. But the person of integrity will live because of his faithfulness. Habakkuk didn't get the answer he wanted. But God did respond. And his answer is timeless. It transcended Habakkuk's question and echoes today when we ask, why God? We know it because God instructed Habakkuk to write it down, to record it clearly on tablets so that it could be easily read and understood, not just in Habakkuk's time, but in every generation thereafter. It's what you got in your Bible, the book of Habakkuk. Essentially, God told Habakkuk that he doesn't operate according to our standards and our timelines. God acts according to his own righteous principles, and often our only option is to wait for God to reveal righteousness in his way and in his time. God told Habakkuk that he could not understand right then why things happened as they did. But God did have a purpose for all that he allowed to happen. And in time, he would reveal that purpose. In the light of that promise, Habakkuk was challenged to base his faith upon God, not upon circumstances or his perception of them. To know God is to know that he holds the world and us in his hand. So the question is not why, but who? When we know that nothing happens apart from the will and purposes of God, we affirm his sovereignty. That is what God wanted Habakkuk to do. Not just for God's glory, but for Habakkuk's own peace of heart and mind and soul. So God made no effort to justify using the Babylonians against Judah, nor did he explain why he does anything. Just in case we missed it, though, let's remember how God answered Habakkuk's first question. Look at the nations and pay attention. Remember that? Assyria, which had taken Israel captive, was already on the dust heap of history, destroyed by the Babylonians. That's right. Babylon would take Judah. The prophet was recorded to make sure we didn't miss it, right? 
And yet next week, y'all, when Linda Murphy stands up here to teach Esther, God's people are going to be under the domination of the Persians. How'd that happen? During the silent years between the Old and New Testaments, Greece would conquer Persia and Rome would conquer Greece when Jesus was born, indeed all the rest of the New Testament. God's people live under the heel of the Roman boot. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Just look at the nations and pay attention. You're going to see God at work. Pay attention and you'll discover that when God finishes with one nation, maybe even our own, when God finishes with one nation, he discards it and raises up another and that will be true until King Jesus reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. The just shall live by faith, God concludes. It is the central truth in Habakkuk's experience and the truth that changed the lives of people like Paul and Martin Luther and John Wesley and millions of other men and women who literally changed the world. That one phrase, the just shall live by faith. Someone has said, even though my head knows God is there, my heart sometimes needs to be convinced. You ever feel like that? That is the final step in Habakkuk's transformation. He's heard and accepted God's announcement of judgment. He now understands something of the nature of God himself. And it's that understanding that changes Habakkuk's heart and empowers him to make one of the most beautiful affirmations of faith in all the Bible. This is the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I've heard the report of what you did. I am awed by what you accomplished. In our time, repeat those deeds. In our time, reveal them again. But when you cause turmoil, remember to show us mercy. God comes from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor has covered the skies. The earth is full of his glory. His brightness will be as lightning, a two-pronged lightning bolt flashing from his hand. This is the outward display of his power. Plague will go before him. Pestilence will march right behind him. He took his battle position and shook the earth. With a mere look, he frightened the nations. The ancient mountains disintegrated. The primeval hills were flattened. His are ancient roads. Most of these images refer to the Exodus, when God showed himself so powerful on behalf of his people. It is Habakkuk's appeal to God to do that again. To do what he did for his people in the past. To reveal himself through his power. But in doing that, to remember mercy. As KJV puts it, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. Now, 
Our translation today, N-E-T, omits a word that appears in other versions of this text. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Ah, that got your attention, didn't it? Shigianoth. In all the Bible, it appears only here and in Psalm 7. And only here in Habakkuk is it actually part of the text. What does Shigianoth mean? Evidently, and I, y'all, I have no idea if I'm saying that right, you know, we don't even know how to say Habakkuk. All right, we're just doing the best we can. Apparently, it means that this prayer of Habakkuk was sung with joy and vigor and excitement. Wasn't like Habakkuk just said, oh Lord, if you're going to do this, go ahead and do it. No, he is excited. He can't wait. Bring it on. Habakkuk offers us a lesson in worship. Chapter 3 describes the majesty and power of God. The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him, right? How can we see the Lord in his holy temple? Think silently about that and then just stand there mute. That experience moved Habakkuk, and it ought to move us. Ought to move us. When we see God's power and sovereignty through the prism of his glory and beauty, we can better understand that God is in all things working together for our good, Romans 8, 28. And it is this sense of joy and gratitude that will save us from despair. John and I were in New York City just weeks after 9-11. Outside the American Bible Society on Broadway stretched a banner stretching, uh, spanning the full length of that 12-story building. On it was printed a portion of 2 Corinthians 4 including these familiar words. Now, this is just weeks after 9-11. We often suffer, but we are never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us, and when we are knocked down, we get up again. What the banner said. That's 2 Corinthians 4 in the CEB. If you want to look it up and read the whole of it. Ultimately, it was that confidence that was the basis for the glorious affirmation of faith and hope that closes Habakkuk's prophecy. When the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, 
When the olive trees do not produce and the fields yield no crops, when the sheep disappear from the pen and there are no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the God who delivers me. The sovereign God is my source of strength. He gives me the ability of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. Advent always begins with hope. On this first day of Advent 2018, we light the hope candle and we let this ancient prophet show us how to live in hope. The word Advent means coming. Advent is a time of expectation, of waiting and watching as Habakkuk waited in the watchtower. During Advent, we wait for Jesus to come, not just as a baby in the manger as he did the first time, but as King of kings and Lord of lords as he will the second time. Frederick Bigner again. To wait for God to come in his fullness is not a passive thing. A pious, prayerful, churchy thing. On the contrary, to wait for Christ to come in his fullness is above all else to act in Christ's stead as fully as we know how. To wait for Christ is as best we can. To be Christ to those who need us to be Christ to them most and to bring them the most we have of Christ's healing and hope because unless we bring it, it may never be brought at all. Again this week, we've heard a prophet crying out against injustice. Advent ought not to be a time of nostalgic recollection of the past or a confirmation of the world as it is. Advent is a time to examine the injustices of the world, to recognize the places where the earth needs to tremble and the heavens need to shake. Advent is a time to steal our resolve for struggle, to renew our strength in the quest for righteousness and justice and peace for the powers of exploitation, dominion, and death will not yield quietly to the righteousness and justice of God. So what's left for us to say about Habakkuk and Advent? Just this. As for uh, Habakkuk, Advent means for us three things. Remember the past. Habakkuk drew strength from remembering how God had acted on behalf of his people in the past, and he prayed boldly that God would do that again. We can do that too. Let's recall all the ways God has shown that he is for us, not against us. 
Let's remember that he is so on our side that he gave himself in Jesus to the death of the cross to make sure that sin and death would not have the final word to speak over our lives. Consider all the ways God has been faithful to you. Over and over and over again. And watch hope flourish in your heart. It's how we learn faith. We learn faith by observing God's faithfulness to us. Second, recognize the present. There's nothing romantic or merely sentimental about Advent. Hope doesn't mean closing our eyes to present reality. Those hideous things I outlined at the beginning of this lesson are real. A real and present danger. We can't ignore that. And in our own lives, our personal lives, the truth is we experience loss and pain and suffering on a personal level today this first day of Advent, you may be facing joblessness or illness or marriage conflicts or loneliness or disappointment or all of those things at the same time. You may hear the thunder of Babylonian chariots smashing through the walls of your dreams and plans and things look pretty dismal. But I got good news. That's not all there is. Emmanuel is on his way. It's the meaning of Advent. Emmanuel, God with us, stands with you in the midst of whatever crisis you may be facing. Refuse to give up your confidence that God, not Babylon, is the Lord of your life. Recognize the present. Reframe the future. Reframe the future. Habakkuk affirmed that regardless what the future held, he would rejoice in the Lord. Rather than focus on what he had lost, figs and olives and crops and cattle and sheep, he would focus on what he had left. Namely, the sovereign Lord who would give him strength and enable him to negotiate the rugged terrain. The rugged terrain. In this Advent season, will we focus on what we don't have or will we rejoice because we have the sovereign Lord who always gives us strength to get back up? If God is for us, if Christ is with us, then we can find peace in knowing that Emmanuel, God with us, is Lord of all. And that changes everything. Whatever crisis you may be facing, you can dare to live toward the good future that God has in mind for all those who love him. 
that knowing God and not the approaching Babylonians will speak the final word over your life and the life of this world. Amen.